Impact leadership. What does it mean? To wake up each day knowing your work, effort, and passion is being transformed into creating change that makes a difference in your business, organization, community, and your own life experience. It can be hard to stay on track when at times the winds don't blow in your direction. But you persevere, and one step forward at a time, you create something better. This is fulfillment in action. This is passion for impact. Today, I'm speaking with Charmaine Hammond, executive producer, speaker, resilience expert, and infectiously inspiring human being. Charmaine's recent project, Back Home Again, a short animated film featuring an all-star voice cast, aims to build mental health awareness and spark conversations in communities across Canada and around the world. Star voices include Martin Short, Kim Basinger, Eugene Levy, Norm Macdonald, Catherine O'Hara, Michael J. Fox, Howie Mandel, and more. What I love most about Charmaine is her genuineness and ease, her ability to articulate and share both life, leadership, and impact wisdom. Are you ready to soak it all in? Here we go. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Tricia Miltimore. Thank you for joining in. This is Passion for Impact podcast, where we have one clear goal to educate, empower, and elevate social consciousness in people, business, and teams. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Rock Your Leadership, a customized module-based leadership training program for social enterprise companies and leaders. We train impact leaders on how to grow success, drive change, and not burn out. Visit www.passionigniter.ca forward slash rockyourleadership for more details. Charmaine is today's guest. And I have to say, I'm feeling all kinds of energy because I have so much, so much I want to talk to this incredible person about. But let me set the stage first. Charmaine started her career as a correctional officer, later opened her own business in dispute resolution and mediation, and now is a speaker and author sharing her message about collaboration, conflict resolution, and resilience around the globe. She is passionate about getting behind and involved in projects that make a difference and impact. Yeah, we love her. Charmaine (laughs) talks about life being made of moments, moments that define you, challenge you, stretch you, and help you grow. Surviving a near-death sailboat accident and a stage three breast cancer diagnosis reminded her of the role hope and surrender play in our lives. Her dog, Toby, was her teacher about passion, play, and purpose. I've been looking forward to this conversation all month. Charmaine, thank you for being on Passion for Impact. So happy to have you here. Thank you. Really excited for the conversation today. I've been reading, you know, of course, our paths have been following, I've been following, I've been following you for a number of years. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And and then for Passion for Impact, the podcast, I get to dive in into the guests a little bit more. And man, I'm just, I don't know, first of all, I don't know how you have the time. I'm super inspired. And like, let's, can we start maybe, if you don't mind, this whole executive producer of this incredible uh, show that you guys are creating. And I couldn't believe the names that are associated. Like we got Martin Short, King Basinger, Eugene Levy, Norm MacDonald, Catherine O'Hara, Michael J. Fox, um, Howie Mandel, there's more, all a part of this project. Share with everyone what this is all about and the impact that it seeks to make. 
Oh, thank you. I love talking about this project. Back Home Again movie is an animated short based on the Fort McMurray wildfires that occurred in 2016 in Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada. And it is the story of the fires, but as told by the animals who live in the Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo Forests. And so these, this incredible cast that you just mentioned, some of the many names is they have, yeah. uh, they are voicing the, the animals that live in the forest. And we created this movie to be a conversation starter about community and hope and mental health. Wow. So how did you get involved in something like this as an executive producer? <laughs> Well, Fort McMurray was actually my home for about 16 years. And while I wasn't living there at the time of the fires, I was brought back to the community by the school divisions and a number of my clients and uh, a number of nonprofit organizations to work with the community on their resilience and recovery efforts. That included uh, providing training and programs around resilience and facilitating numerous different conversations across organizations and within government and community to help the organizations be able to recover uh, after this disaster. And it was a huge impact on the Fort McMurray community. And I worked on that project for a couple of years. And it was while I was there on one of the trips that everyone kept saying, have you met Michael Mankowski? And after I'd heard that three or four times, I thought, I need to find out who Michael Mankowski <laughs> is. And Michael and I went out for a coffee and he introduced me to the screenplay that he was working on. And I was just a heck yes to get involved because it checked off all the things that are important to me. Would it make an impact? Absolutely. Does it do good for the world? Yes. Is it built on collaboration? Yes. Can it help people? Yes, because it inspires conversation about mental health. And lastly, I'm just so passionate about helping people raise their dreams. And this was a big dream that Michael was raising. And we've been working together on the project ever since, which is for me almost five years now. Oh, wow. Okay, so when does it come out? How can people watch it? What are those details? Great. Well, it'll be out um, later on in 2022. Right now, it's actually touring through a number of film festivals across North oh. America. And um, we actually had our world premiere in October at the Edmonton International Film Festival, where we won two awards there and had wow. multiple screenings, which was incredible. And then we also won an award, award of excellence at Canada Shorts Film Festival. And then we've been working with our partners, our many different partners on this on the film and the project to provide private screenings and and now having community events where we screen the movie and then eventually after the film festivals are done we'll have a place for people to go and watch the movie but right now people are are getting access to the movie through some of our events and screenings Oh, wow. Okay. So everyone can kind of keep their eye out for that and yes. all those details. You know, one of the things that um, I just really admire about you or gets me excited about you, or I, I don't know, it sounds creepy, doesn't it? But <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's all in really, really positive I get way. where you're going. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's like when I say to people, I've been following you on LinkedIn. It's like, right. oh, it, just, it just has a weird tone to it, but you know what I mean? Okay. So your company, uh, raiseadream.com, what I love about this concept, it's like a dream role for me is that you're raising people's dreams. So passion for impact is all about helping people to elevate that, you know, sense of not only the impact that they want to make, but helping to empower them to do even more. 
Um, so when you say raise a dream and you help people to do that, it checks it off in your box of things that you want to be involved with. What does that mean? And how do you do that? Well, at Raise a Dream, we work with entrepreneurs, speakers, authors, coaches, people with a big mission or a movement that they want to get off the ground, as well as nonprofits and charities. And we work with them in a variety of ways, helping them understand how to build effective and impactful collaborations, how to work effectively with corporate sponsors and partners, how to amplify their message through working with organizations, brands, and influencers that are where there's synergy, where there's some congruence in their messages and values. And we teach the principles of that and help people develop the skills because with this toolbox, this raise a dream toolbox, so to speak, once people learn how this works, how to, how to frame a collaboration for success, how to approach, engage, and invite corporate sponsors to help fund projects. Once they learn this, it's like that skill that's forever in their blood and they start to think about projects differently. They overcome that um, barrier of asking. Uh, mm. Instead of asking, we, we don't ask people, we invite people to be a part of what we're doing, which is one of the reasons why Back Home Again movie has been so incredibly successful in securing partners, influencers, champions, and sponsors to be a part of this project. And the, the thread that weaves it all together, no surprise to you because of the work you do already, it's relationships, right? Having something that will create impact and then creating relationships to help you get there. I love that. One of the things that I find is there's a lot of amazing organizations and companies out there that are doing some pretty impactful stuff, mm -hmm. but not many people know about it or they're, they're finding it challenging to kind of, um, you know, raise, I love the, the idea of raising, right? Raise it up. So if you were to give them some quick tips, the first thing, because I feel like a lot of people just feel lost, like we're doing this cool mm -hmm. stuff, but how do we let people know? How do we get more people involved? How do we make more impact? What would be their tips, your quick tips that yeah. you would give people right from the get-go? Number one is to be really clear on who the audience of your project is, and then look for brands, influencers, partners, and organizations that serve or want to serve that same audience. That's where the magic starts to, to happen. A lot of times, uh, dream raisers, um, people who want to create an impact in the world, sponsor seekers, they will just sort of identify, oh, I would love to have this brand as a sponsor and I'd love to work with this brand, but they don't really research them and they don't know if that brand's values and mission and target audience is even in alignment with what you're doing. So they spend all this time and energy and then get disappointed because it just wasn't a good fit. It doesn't mean that your project isn't great. It just means out of all the businesses, brands and influencers out there, they may just not have been the right one because they have a different audience or their values are different. So when you can really start to understand your audience and really start to know what the goals of that influencer, sponsor, brand partner are, then you can really start to create synergies and find ways to work together. Mm. Okay, so if in practical terms, then for those who are listening, to kind of put it back into real life uh, examples, it, could you give an example of a company that would then the synergy would probably be a good fit in terms of the type of sponsor? Some kind of sure, okay. sure, absolutely. So, w with Back Home Again movie, uh, two of our philanthropic partners on the project are Canadian Red Cross and Canadian Mental Health Association, and they're really important foundational partners for us because 
with this movie, we're also creating educational resources that will support the film. And CMHA does this so well already. They're in the business of, of delivering programs and services that connect people and, and deliver mental health services as well as programs and resources. So that was an example of just a great fit. And we've been working with them since almost the beginning to help us create the app and the educational resources. One of our other goals was to translate the movie with subtitles into a couple of Alberta's uh, indigenous languages, Cree and Diné. And we found an incredible partner who was willing to support us in getting that done. And, and that was, again, something that was, was one of their passions. And then, of course, I love talking about Ikea in Edmonton, because if anyone's been down to the Ikea in Edmonton, they will have seen that our movie trailer is playing when you come in, and it's also playing in the Indigenous showroom. And that was a great example of finding ways to work together to mm -hmm. create impact, a shared impact. And then of course, with other projects that I've done uh, prior to the movie, we did a, a kindness tour right across North America about seven years ago now. And we had a motorhome sponsor. And that motorhome here in BC, the motorhome company, Fraser Way RV, was an incredible partner to work with. And they, they provided us this motorhome so we could go on the road for seven weeks across North America inspiring and doing acts of kindness. And again, it was finding the right company. There's lots of motorhome companies out there, but this company had shared values, shared visions. They were interested in the audience that we were getting in front of with part of the audience with that project was people who love to travel and travel with pets. And we were traveling with our dog, Toby, who's the star of three of my books. <laughs> nice. I love it. Okay. So this is like, it's like the matching game in some ways, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. you put your values out there and your, the sponsor's values and our audiences and it's like the matching game. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes time for sure. It takes yeah. time and strategy, but it is, you know, I've, I've been working with sponsors for many years and even prior to open my, my business 25 years ago, when I was still an employee, I was a director of a nonprofit organization and my job was actually to find sponsors and build collaborations to fund the organization services. And then when I left that position, I went and worked for government and my job was sitting at the other side of the table, actually giving away funding and giving away sponsorship and grant dollars. And those two experiences combined really set me up for what I do now. Yeah, that's a powerful kind of combination of expertise to be able to put together. And I noticed on your blog, lots of resources at raiseadream.com for anyone who wants to go and read, read, read and absorb some of those tools as well. That's raiseadream.com. Wow. So collaboration. Let's talk about that for yes. a sec. Because I feel like often for, you know, especially for any entrepreneurs that are listening, um, sometimes it's fearful to collaborate. There's sometimes just kind of mm -hmm. some blocks. How do you help people to kind of get through those? And what do you see as being the most common blocks to collaboration? Yeah, one of the questions I love speaking to people about when they're considering collaboration is to think about a time when they were involved in a collaboration that was so easy. It just worked well. You couldn't wait for the next phone call. And then to consider what were the attributes? What was it about that person or that organization that just felt right and that made the collaboration um, easy? And, you know, there was lots of grace in that collaboration. And then on, on the other side of the coin is to think about that collaboration that you were involved with that was painful. 
It had yeah. painful learnings. It uh, it was hard. It was something that you would wanted to find excuses to get out of it. Um, it never got off the ground. It felt like you were spinning your wheels. And what was going on with that? What created that scenario? Because that will identify for you what your values are and what you need to make sure you don't bring into your next collaboration. That's a starting point. And then the other piece is there is a tendency in the entrepreneur world. I see it all the time. I've, I've been there years and years ago where people will collaborate with people because they know each other in their business circle or their friends or um, they used to work together on another project. And that's awesome when it works for your new project. But sometimes people dive into a collaboration and they don't really... Um, work through the agreement. They don't look at how they're going to work together, what they're going to do if things go sideways, what each person is bringing to the table. And so they dive in and they rely on the relationship. But as the partnership and collaboration might hit some bumpy spots or where money is involved, sometimes things fall apart and relationships get impacted. So it's really important whether you're collaborating with other organizations, with nonprofits, with brand partners, uh, friends or colleagues, that you set it up so that the relationship isn't damaged if things don't go the way you intended it to. And they certainly can. So those are some really good mm -hmm. points. Wow. Okay. Fun question. Because I like fun questions too. <laughs> Why not, right? Okay. So if you were to sure. sit down with your favorite hot drink, what would that be? Oh my gosh, I love chai latte. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> so much okay. that I, I, I actually make my own chai. A friend of mine gave me this. Uh, that would be my hot drink that I would sit down with. Yeah. Okay. Chai girl. I like it. Yeah. So a, a rescue dog with issues, a near death sailboat <laughs> accident, and a cancer diagnosis taught you lots about resilience. Uh, if you don't mind, ask sharing a little bit about your story because there's mm -hmm. so much there, so much wisdom and insights to be shared. Well, about 25 plus years ago, I was involved mm -hmm. in a near-death sailboat accident. We, we lived in Alberta on the lake and my then boyfriend, Chris, and I were out sailing and the boat capsized, which for him, an avid sailor, was a, is a lot of fun. For me, not so much. And as we were, uh, yeah, it was quite terrifying for me. And as we were riding the boat to flip the boat up properly, it's in order that we could get on and, and sail or go home, which was my choice, as we were flipping the boat upright again, the boat actually took off with me dragging behind it. And Chris and I became separated in the length and I swam for what seemed like an eternity. It was probably about an hour until I heard these splashing to the right and it was Chris. He had swam following my cries for help uh, so that we didn't have to be alone as we ventured on this probably three and a half, four kilometer swim back to the shore. And our boat, oh, of course, had had zipped along out of sight across the lake. And uh, to the world, it looked like everything was fine. The boat was upright and and sailing with no one on it. And the long story short is we we swam for about four and a half hours. It's a cold lake in northern Alberta with uh, we didn't have wetsuits, but we did have life jackets. And at one point, Chris became quite hypothermic and he didn't really think he was going to make it. And uh wanted me to leave him to keep going to get help. And I didn't want to leave him again for the second time that day. 
and he knew that his time was limited. He figured he probably had left maybe half an hour um, in. And so when he was drifting in and out of consciousness in one of his lucid moments, he said, um, Shar, uh, you got to leave me. You've got to go get help. And when we get back to shore, we've got a wedding to plan. And I, apparently I turned into quite the Olympic swimmer after that. <laughs> <laughs> it gave me the courage to um, tell him I loved him. And, and uh, I didn't need courage for that because we said that all the time, but to leave him. And uh, shortly thereafter, a boat appeared. Literally, it felt like out of nowhere. And it was a, a man and his 13-year-old son. And they came to me and I just said, I'll tread water. You go get Chris. And when they brought him back, they couldn't really find any vitals. Um, we got back on shore and all these community volunteers just stepped into action. And one year later, true to his word, we were married and we've wow. been married ever since. <laughs> that is crazy. So when you were swimming away and leaving him, I mean, what was it dark out? Was it light out? What was going? I can't even imagine. Yeah. It was later, later afternoon and together we had already swam through a couple of uh, thunder and lightning storms. Uh, and so the waves in the lake were quite high and wow. it was starting to get a bit dark just because of the thunderstorm. And um, the lake we were in is quite weedy and in certain parts of the lake where it's a little bit more shallow, the weeds were grabbing my legs and sort of, you know, pulling me under. So I was constantly having to wrestle with these lead, weeds that my legs would get wrapped up in. And, and of course, when you're swimming in a lake and you turn around, I couldn't see his, his uh, red life jacket. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't know if he was okay or not okay, but I just kept swimming. And honestly, the only thing that mattered in that moment was one arm in front of the other and get to the shoreline. That was it. There was one sole purpose, get to mm -hmm. the shoreline, get help. So when you go through an experience like that, it probably changes your perspective on everything. What was your biggest shift? Mm. Oh, there are so many. One of them was that I needed to put more trust in myself. I knew what I needed to do. And I kept doubting myself that day in the lake and what, especially when I was on my own. And the, the, I think the biggest lesson for me was the power of our thoughts. When I was thinking things like, um, when did, did I feed the dog before we le left? You know, who's going to feed the dog if we don't get home? When did I talk to my family last? Was it on Sunday? Was it longer than that? Uh, what if I don't get home for my two sisters' birthday, my mom and dad's anniversary? All these thoughts go through your mind. And the more that I allowed the what ifs and the thoughts of despair and fear to be in my brain, I literally had no physical energy. It was just so much a struggle to swim. And then when I would think, okay, I've got to get home. Chris needs me now more than other. I need to get help. I need to find somebody. I'm just going to keep swimming, keep screaming. I've got a wedding plan to, to make. <laughs> what kind of dress am I wearing? I wonder when we're going ring shopping, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> and when I had the thoughts of hope, I realized that my strength was much stronger. I could actually swim. I was making progress. I was moving. And that taught me loud and clear. And I knew the importance of our thoughts. I've been trained on that for many years, but to actually experience it to that degree was quite moving. And that has stuck with me ever since. Wow. And then later on in life, a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. You went through that as well. Um, so you've been tested for resilience many times. Um, <laughs> tell us about that experience, if you don't mind sharing and what that taught you. Yes, that was in 2018, partway through the 
the production of making back home again movie and uh, as anyone with a diagnosis it often comes as quite a big surprise and it certainly was that for me and I chose to have what I refer to as a private journey I knew that I didn't want to be posting on Facebook and sharing my experience on Facebook because all that mattered to me at that time was getting healthy and mm -hmm. being with the people I love my family my friends um, and, and that was what was most important. And, and I knew that I'm the type of person, if people were sending me well wishes on Facebook and social media, I would feel guilty if I didn't get back to every single one of them. And that's why I chose to just not share this publicly. There was less than, I think, 25 people initially that knew about the diagnosis and knew my choices on surgeries and going through chemo and so forth. And it, it was only been actually in late 2021 when I've started talking about it publicly. I'm doing great now. I just want to say that it's three good. years of, of some good health reports from my doctor. I feel great. It was uh, quite a journey to go through. And um, I learned a lot about myself and a lot about resilience. And uh, one of the big lessons there was uh, asking for help, man, oh, man, I knew that was not a strong point for me. But holy smokes, when I went through this journey, I had to ask for help for nearly everything. And it was extremely humbling and, um, and also emotionally moving at the same time. And I mm -hmm. needed to learn how to make that more comfortable for me. And, and I learned that when I asked for when I asked for help when I needed it, um, it also gave the people that I was asking for help, a way to be involved. Because one of the things that happens when there are diagnoses is that often the care, the, the extended caregivers don't know what to do to help. So your colleagues, your friends, your coworkers, people in your community, they don't know what necessarily to do to help. So they might say things like, let me know if you need anything, because we've all said that to someone. Mm -hmm. And when you're going, you know, I've said that to many people before. And then when I was going through this myself, I thought, I don't even know what I need right now to be able to let somebody help me. And I had to get really good at saying things um, like, if you're going to the grocery store today, would you mind picking me up some milk and eggs? you know, to save Chris mm -hmm. one more trip out? Or could you, if you're out on errands anytime this week or next week, would you mind stopping by and picking this up from the seamstress for me or from the dry cleaner, whatever that was. And people were happy to help and, and appreciated that giving them guidance um, often helped. And then of course, just being accepting, uh, receiving with dignity. Often, you know, uh, meals would show up at my door, five days worth of meals from somebody. And, uh, you know, it's, it's incredibly moving. And I had to learn to, to get better at receiving as well. Oh, I think that is so powerful, giving per people permission to be able to receive and work mm. on receiving better. I once, Lush used to have these great little bath bombs that I don't know if anybody, if you've ever had one of these, it's a bath yeah. bomb, you put in the bath and then a little saying floats to the top. Oh, and I haven't had that one. No. So, so oh. magical. I'm, they're like $6 each and I'd have so many baths. My husband's like, are you having another $6 bath? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Anyways, right, why I bring this up is because one of the little sayings that floated to the top was, how are you at receiving? 
Ah. And it really stuck with me. And I, it made me realize as well that I'm not very good at that. So I think that's that's a powerful element of your story. Now that you're healthy and you know it's been a little bit of time, has that have you been able to maintain the ability and openness to asking for help and receiving? Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I I've um yeah, that's been something. I got so much practice on that and um with the Back Home Again movie, it's been a lot of that, being able to just welcome and embrace all these offers of support that have come in so many different ways and also asking for what it is that we need for this project. And and getting really good at that and comfortable with that has allowed things to happen in this project that you know we wouldn't have been able to do on our own without the support of other people. And mm. it, you know, I love community. I love what happens when a group of passionate doers come together to solve a problem or to create something impactful. Magic really happens then. It does. And the synergy, I love that word too, right? It's just so powerful. Uh, If I may just add one more thing about your story you just shared is you talked about how you kind of kept it private to yourself for the first little bit. And I, I think that's really powerful too as impact makers, as many of us are, especially in this podcast, listening to this podcast is like, we often feel like I see this happening with others. And sometimes also in myself, we feel like we have to share it so we can help inspire other people through it mm-hmm. or whatever, the, whatever the kind of the narrative is, narrative is, but that's not necessarily always true. So I think giving people permission to be able to ha- have that privacy and not feel they have to share to always be out there inspiring and empowering that's that's important too. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. And every journey is is you know whatever journey people choose, it's their journey. And I also knew that I didn't want to engage in conversations um, like I sometimes see on social media when somebody vulnerably shares a decision they've made about their health or a, a treatment option, and then all kinds of comments come up, don't do that, or my brother-in-law mm. did this, and there's all these opinions that come out. And I knew I didn't want to be publicly defending any choice that I make on my health, and I didn't actually want to engage in any kind of these um, debates or conversations. I knew that I just wanted to get healthy and spend important time with my family and, and, and really put emphasis on taking care of me and removing distractions that would take me away from that. And it was very difficult. I will not um, kid anyone on that. It was very difficult. And I, so I needed to do things that allowed me to still be social, but, um, not necessarily sharing what was going on with me personally. And then as I started sharing this, I came out in October um, with a post on social media um, in recognition of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and just sort of posted some of the images of, of my journey. So for some and, and talking about um, thanking people that they didn't even know what was going on in my life at the time, but thanking them for being who they were, because the way that they were showing up in other people's lives and in their own projects, and the dreams they were raising was actually inspiring me from the background. And, and I had some great conversations with people that said, Oh, you know, I didn't know. And I said, that's okay, because that's what the choice was that I wanted to keep my circle small. And eventually, more and more people found out. But again, it wasn't something that I really talked about publicly. But it's, it's important for us to recognize that any choice that any person makes about their health and their wellness, it, it's their choice. And, you know, the, the best thing we can do is, is 
uh, when we do find out about it is figure out how we can best support them, what it is they need from me. And it might be, I know I had a colleague years ago who was struggling with a health diagnosis and they said, what I need from my friends right now is when we hop on a phone call, I don't actually want to talk about my health. And I know it's going to be hard for you because the first words that come out of your mouth is, how are you doing? How's everything? How's the treatment? But but the individual said, I have to deal with this every day in my life. I love the moments that we can just be friends. And right. so I needed to really work hard at honoring that for that for that friend. Mm, yeah. Asking for what you need. That's important. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what advice would you give yourself, let's say 15 years ago? And what advice would you give yourself five years ago? Mm. Totally wow. putting you on the spot Juicy on that one. question. Man, there's so many. Uh, I think even 15 years ago and five years ago, I would say, um, you know, asking for help. And it, it's just so important. Asking for help, letting people know what you need. Uh, that is sound advice that I would give. And the other advice I would give is that it, you do not have to be okay all the time. Often as influencers, impact makers like your audience, we put a lot of a pressure on ourselves to always be happy or out there. And it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have some bad days. It's okay when things go sideways and get bumpy and messy. And then it's okay to ask for help to get it back on track. Mm, that's such, such important stuff. One of the things that I know many of us struggle with uh, as impact makers, leaders, um, you know, developers of teams and whatnot is navigating conflict. That is a mm. challenge and it's for a challenge for different people for different reasons. It's something that you talk a lot about. Um, how did you get involved in talking about navigating conflict and any gems? We Whatever gem we can get from you, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> well, conflict is is something that most people want to avoid. And, and when mm. I worked in the correctional system, so much of our day was spent dealing with conflict, intervening in conflict, resolving conflict. And some of the conflicts, obviously, correctional officers have to deal with is not just verbal conflict. It can actually get physical where you're having to intervene physically. And I learned a great set of skills in that career. Uh, especially when I moved into working with young offenders and had to teach this group of young offenders how to resolve conflict in a way that was respectful and nonviolent and got the issues handled. And then when I left the correctional system, I went back to school and got certified as a mediator. So I took a two-year program to become a mediator. And then I also went back and got a master's degree in conflict analysis and management. And for many years was a mediator in family, workplace, and community conflicts, mediating thousands and thousands of people over the years through conflicts of all types. Mm -hmm. And then now I teach people how to resolve conflict because it's it's a very costly um, it, it's a very costly expense in the workplace. We lose a lot of productive time. We are stressed because of conflict. We lose productivity. Relationships are damaged. Trust is eroded. And when we can navigate conflict effectively, we can actually save relationships or even improve them and um, make a real big difference to our bottom line. So a couple of tips are, I'm going to use somebody's quote. It's not my quote. I wish I thought of it, but a person named Judge <laughs> Esty, <laughs> it's a brilliant quote. Judge Esty says, conflict is not like wine. 
it doesn't get better with age. <laughs> Isn't that a Isn't great that quote? True. That is it's awesome. So yep. <laughs> Which means we've got to deal with it. As awkward, uncomfortable, messy that it can be, it's generally better to deal with it than to leave it alone. Unless there's ramifications around safety and things like that. But a lot of the mm -hmm. interpersonal relationship conflicts that we have, um, they get worse because they linger and people harbor um, you know, grudges or resentment. And then the next time there's a disagreement, we see this all the time in families. The next time that there's a disagreement, the family members not only are looking at the conflict of the day, but the last 10 years worth of conflict that are kind of stuffed into this emotional backpack or duffel bag that we carry with us. So deal with it immediately or as soon as you can. Recognize, this is one of my quotes, I always say that proving someone wrong does not make you right. And in conflict, people spend a lot of time trying to prove each other wrong instead of solve the problem together. Hmm. It's easy to kind of get thrown down that path, isn't it? So yes, it is. It's like a intoxicating. It is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a question. If you're working, uh, so imagine a team and the leader genuinely wants to be a good leader, wants their team to be able to work well together, to be connected, to have that trust. And there's one particular employee who um, has a really sour attitude, but when asked if anything is wrong, will never actually want to communicate or bring up or share what that could be. So there's this mm -hmm. ongoing festering of, um, you know, kind of a downer energy um, and that, I guess, passive aggressive mm -hmm. conflict. So what can a leader do when they genuinely want to help and they want to make it better and it's it is having an impact on other people as well. What can they do in that kind of situation? It's a great opportunity for feedback. And a lot of times leaders will say something like, or colleagues, it could be a colleague bringing it up to the person, will say something like, is everything okay? Is ever, anything wrong? And what's the natural answer? Yes or no? And, and people don't give you any detail. Leaders who are really effective in getting these conversations going are more likely to say something like, I've noticed that at staff meeting, when somebody brings up an idea that they're excited about, you quickly jump in and find all the reasons why that might not work. I'd like to talk to you more about this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and that's where you're noticing an I message. Um, because if you ask people, is everything okay? Is anything bothering you? It gives people the opportunity to say no, when in fact they, it is bothering them or there is an issue that's going on. So we really have to be careful how we communicate and asking people questions. The best questions are who, what, where, when, why, and how. And a lot of times leaders might start something with like, I'm curious. I'm curious why when the idea of such and such was raised, um, you very quickly got quiet and disengaged and then didn't participate in the conversation anymore. I'm wondering what, what that's about. So you're asking a question and leaders can address patterns. Uh, when there is a pattern of behavior with somebody, it's not just one time, it happens a lot. That's when leaders might have to say, I've noticed that many times when this type of scenario happens, this is the response that I see from you. And I'd like to understand that more. Good stuff. And it's yeah, it's addressing that pattern of behavior. And it, it requires mm -hmm. people then to answer it. Because they, I mean, they can't not answer it. They can't just sit in silence, right? And they might just say, I don't know. I don't know. 
or that's just Mm -hmm. your opinion. And then that's where the leader has to keep persisting. It's just like the Shrek movie, um, Shrek one, when they said onions, onions, there's many layers. (laughs) (laughs) Conflict has many layers and leaders who are comfortable having these conversations, if there's resistance or shutting down or pushing back, a leader could say something like, I'm finding it really troubling right now. I'm really wanting to understand your perspective and why this happens. Yet every question I'm asking is being shut down with either, I don't know, whatever, shoulder shrug. And then at some point, if this is a continued problem, a leader may need to address this as a performance issue, where Mm -hmm. this is something that is no longer acceptable in terms of how we work in our team. It's creating challenges within the team. It's creating challenges with how our team functions. And I'm going to work with you to figure out how we can improve this. And what I hear from all of those examples, as you kind of played it through, is a real strong element of curiosity, using that mm-hmm. as a tool to help extract what could what it could be that's holding that person back. Exactly. I love it. Good exactly. tools for the leadership tool belt. <laughs> Thank you, Charmaine. You're welcome. Oh, I could spend hours, we could have like <laughs> days of these kind of like uh, conversations, right? Um, question for you around something a little bit more personal. How do you, as a resilience expert, how do you maintain your resilience on, on an ongoing basis? Mm. I make sure that I have projects that I work on that get me into the flow, that give me joy, that I'm passionate about, such as writing books, such as Back Home Again movie. That's one thing because that fuels my energy for the tasks that I have to take on that might not be as fun and that might take more brain power or a different type of brain power is a better way to frame that. Um, The other thing is because I have a dog, he requires us to get outside several times a day. Thank goodness for Toby. He gets me in the fresh air, out moving. (laughs) And other things that I've done are things like buying a stand-up desk so that I am not sitting for hours at a time. I can move. I can have purposeful movement in the course of my day. And um, do I have to remind myself to do some of these things? Yes. I had to buy a Fitbit to remind me to move every hour. (laughs) I get engrossed in what I'm doing. I know. My little wrist, the little uh, Fitbit on my wrist vibrates and buzzes and says, start moving, Charmaine. It doesn't quite say that, but that's what I hear when it buzzes. And and then um, I think the other, um, the other, tool that I've really had to develop over time around resilience is knowing when enough is enough. You know, the other night, my eyes were so tired from spending so much on the screen. And I noticed that I just kept shuffling papers back and forth and jumping from screen to screen on my computer and couldn't really get anything finished in the moment. So I just said, Char, that's enough. You've put in your day. And I closed the the computer down and went and visited with my husband and went to bed early. And and so we just have to realize, or at least for me, I had to realize that sometimes um, we're not putting in what we might have put in yesterday or what we might put in next week. And it's okay to say enough is enough for today. Hmm. I love that. Wow, you, you, um, we, I would love to get together sometime. Let's, yes, we should do that. We will do that. Let's re, yes, we will do that in real life. (laughs) Oh, I'll come to North Vancouver or or we'll we'll connect somewhere. Maybe we'll speak on the same stage somewhere. Let's make that happen. That sounds like fun too. Yes. In like Hawaii or something. (laughs) Um, okay, I have one more question for you, but before I go there, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Um, any resources you want to share? Uh, yeah, let us know. 
Great. Yeah, I think the best way to get a hold of me would be on raiseadream.com or on our socials, which are also Raise a Dream. Well, that makes it so easy. I love that. Yeah. It's so consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Raise a Dream. Just the title of that is inspiring and mm-hmm. empowering. Okay, final question for you. And again, thank you for your time. I know how busy you are. So I really appreciate this, being able to share your wisdom with um, the audience. It's just, it's powerful and it's uh, very much appreciated. What is the best wisdom, putting you on the spot again, mm-hmm. what is the best wisdom you have ever received? Oh. Gosh, there's been so many mentors, so many family members that have shared wisdom with me. I'm going to go back to a childhood lesson that my family, um, my family always um, talks about the power of kindness and and being there for people. And just, I would say the wisdom would be kindness. It's in you to give and give lots, give lots of kindness to yourself and lots. When we give kindness to other people, it just ripples back to us in ways that we may not know immediately, but it just comes back to us. And I see that all the time. Kindness. Thank you, Charmaine, for being on Passion for Impact. Appreciate it. Thank you. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. Hey, if you love learning how to live and lead in a caring and fulfilling way and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Rock Your Leadership, a customized module-based leadership training program for social enterprise companies and leaders. We train impact leaders on how to grow success, drive change and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash rock your leadership for more details. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.